Welcome back to another episode of the Inquisitive Mamba podcast. This is episode 65. It's a pleasure to have Mark Matthews on today's show. If you don't know who Mark Matthews is, he is a former Division I college basketball athlete and also a former Division II All-American. So it's a pleasure to have you on today's show, Mark. Uh, I remember in high school, I, I watched you. I never got a chance to play against you when I was younger in, in uh, high school, but it's a pleasure to have you on. And I just remember the, the times how dominant you were in high school and actually got a chance to look at your stats. You average right around like 25 points per game uh, in your junior and se- uh, senior year. So it's just a pleasure to have you on. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. So I first really wanted to just get right into it. Um, but uh, so my, my first question for you was, is you played basketball your whole life, but where did it start from the beginning? Like, let's just go back in time from when you were a kid and like, where did it all start? Well, uh, originally, you know, I kind of started playing basketball at the age of four. Uh, you know, my dad was very big in the basketball growing up. I grew up in New Jersey. So up in the tri-state area, you know, basketball is, is a huge thing compared to Florida. Football is huge. Football, football, football. So yeah. in like the tri-state area, like New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, basketball is something you know that they take very very serious and you know my dad was always a firm believer that you know starting at a young age but especially playing up a little bit so when I was four years old I was already playing against like you know six seven year olds I was always playing up an age group whether when I was five I played up against seven eight year olds when I was six it just kept going on and on and on and you know just growing up my whole life you know just being around the game of basketball I feel like especially from an early age you know I kind of felt like that's where I felt you know the connection with it and the love for the game so when you say you played up and like explain that in terms of like, okay, I was really young and I was just playing against higher competition and that also made me better. Is that something that you would kind of go along yeah, with? Yeah, I mean, there? you know, so I'll even fast forward, you know, when I was in, when I was in eighth grade, you know, when I was in eighth grade, I was already playing against, you know, 10th and 11th graders, you know, off rip. I didn't feel like at that time, you know, I understand some kids are a little different and they want to play their age group, whether it's seventh graders versus seventh graders, eighth versus eighth or age group. But, you know, I, I kind of felt like, you know, if I really wanted to develop my skill set in game, you know, you, you got to be able to play against these older guys because at some point in your life, you're going to have to play against them, you know, yeah, whether it's, you know, your freshman year or whatever year you want to start. So I kind of felt like, why not just start earlier? You know, I feel like that benefited me because especially with the way I played as I got older, you know, I was already so accustomed to just playing at that age group and playing at that pace and, you know, playing with that physicality because the older you get, I mean, everybody knows, you know, whether it's high school, college or professional, you know, the game always changes the pace, the speed, the physicality, the whole nine, um, just the way you prepare for it. So it was always an advantage, you know, just being able to, play up and you know kind of have that knowledge of knowing how things were ran yeah for sure so I you know that makes sense to me so now going into like your high school time like let's just go you said you were you know four or five years old at that time let's just you know fast forward about 10 years later and the high school times Fort Myers high school when you started off playing in high school like where where was your game then to like from you know your time when you were younger like how did it all like develop into the player you became in high school you know I I don't you know I don't like tooting my own horn when it comes to this subject but you know I kind of prided myself on my work ethic you know Mm -hmm. my entire life you know like especially in the game of basketball you know anyone that knows me or anyone that was close to me from my freshman year to my senior year 
they knew how hard I worked, you know, whether it was getting to school. I used to literally every day at Fort Myers High School. I don't know if, I mean, it doesn't matter now because it wasn't a lot I could say. It was, this is what, 10 years ago. (laughs) I, I, I was, you know, so Guttery, obviously, you know who Scott Guttery is. He was my coach at the time at Fort Myers. And, you know, he, he lived right down the road, but, you know, he was the only one who would really let me in the gym, whether it was before or after school. Oh, wow. So one day, one day I found out that the assistant principal at the time, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but I found out that he would always, so Fort Myers had two weight rooms. There was a stadium football weight room and there was the one that was right in front of the gym right there. Mm-hmm. There was another one for like PE classes. Okay. And I found out, and I found out that he, the assistant principal would go to the, get to the school at around four thirty, five o'clock every day to lift in that weight room. Wow. So once I found that out, I was like, Hey, um, you know, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I know you have keys to all the gyms. Like, do you mind if I meet you here at five o'clock? And like, you just let me in the gym. Like, you don't got to worry about me. Like I can set the gun up. I can put everything back. And he kind of looked at me side eye. Like, are you, sh- you sure you're going to be here? Like, you know, I'll be here. But like, I was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm going to be there. Like, I'll be there every day. Don't worry. Like you just let me know and I'll be there. So, you know, and I lived in Astero at the time. People aren't familiar with the geographic of where we live. Astero is about, you know, maybe 30 minutes away from Fort Myers High School. Yeah. So I I literally was getting up probably at 4.15 every day. And wow. I would drive in my car. And I'd get to the gym at around, I don't know, 4.50, 4.55. And I'd lace up. And I was, you know, going through my workout at 5.15 to about 6.30 every day. Wow. You know, and it was it was just something, you know, that I I fell in love with, whether it was before school or after school, I would do that. Then I would do school during the day. And then we had a basketball class, um, like a weightlifting class, like that seventh, eighth period every day. And mm-hmm. I'd get my lift in. And, you know, the way I kind of organized my workouts is, you know, that morning workout would be more of a skill set workout. Like, OK, we're not going to do a lot of shooting. We're going to do something that I whether it's ball handling, finishing, you know, some defensive stuff like I always mixed it up because right after that weight training class, school ended at like 135. Guttery would then let me in the main gym on the gun. And I would always make sure that's when I'd really get my shots up. I'd really just focus on jump shooting that whole hour I was in there. Because on the gun, it's it's an easy machine to where if you play basketball, you know, you can just set it up per spot and it'll count your makes. And you can really get a lot of reps up in a quick amount of time. You know, I'd probably make every day you know people think i'm probably you know gonna bs this but i swear to god you can ask anybody i would make 500 every single day every wow. single day and it just was a it was a habit for me you know like i it, it kind of thing you know like you kind of speak about it on your other episodes you know like when you start doing these habits you know you fall in love with it and you get accustomed to things and you know it was something for me like it got to that point where like, if I, I understood that everybody needed a rest day. I always did that. Sundays were my rest day. I wouldn't lift. I wouldn't shoot. I would physically force myself not to do anything, but those other six days during the week, it would just feel irregular or, you know, like just odd. If I didn't do something, you know, if I didn't benefit myself, like if I would, whether it was a workout before school or with that weightlifting or getting shots up, like there was something I had to do to make sure that I got myself better because, you know, preparation to me is so key and 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 that was you know the route to my success throughout my high school college and professional careers you know I I really prided myself on my preparation you know because I I don't care what you say the way the way you prepare yourself is how you perform and when you get to those games or whether it's those practices or scouts and if you're not prepared you definitely feel the difference if you do or don't do it and you know I felt the difference and like I said I 
I always just prided myself on that. And some people always ask me like, well, why do you do it? Why do you do it? If you love something, you'll do it. You know, you'll, you'll go out there and you'll do it as much as you want or can, because deep down, it doesn't matter what so-and-so thinks about you or other people. It matters what you feel and what you want to do, because, you know, you're the one that's doing it and you're the one that wants to go on that journey. So that's just something I really, you know, took pride in. And I, I, I would, if I could go back, I would do it all over again. I do the same routine. I would do everything, you know, because I know if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have had the career I had. I I really, really like that one a lot. And I think it's a remarkable story. But for me, my question for you is, is do you think your high school basketball career would have been the same if that gentleman didn't give you the keys to shooting, letting you in the gym early? Because I feel like, really feel like that changed your entire mindset. And I'm sure you could have gotten shots up uh, elsewhere. You know, your high school, you know, athlete could have gotten at, into the gym at different times. But do you think really like that was just a moment where like, something's really speaking to me like this is meant to happen like take me through that man you know i i i kind of agree with you but i'll be honest with you i was i was such a i was so stubborn with the process that even if he did or didn't let me in i was getting in there regardless i was gonna find a way to get in there you know like i said yeah. if you love something you're gonna get it done you know like there'd be days where you know i'll even backtrack to when i first transferred to fort myers when i first got to fort myers you know they never really had a kid with my work ethic, you know? So the year I got there, the year I got there, you know, that was the year before actually I got there. That was Fort Myers first real bad season in a long time. You know, they were like, they were like 13 and 15. They got bounced in the first round of districts. Um, they really weren't a cohesive unit. They just weren't, a, that was one of the worst Fort Myers teams they ever had. And like, you know, and like a lot of people know, Fort Myers has a rich basketball tradition for their high school. Like yes, ever since yes. that 2010 state champion, it, it just prided itself on it. Just the way they run their program, the team, the, the whole nine. And so it's not there anymore. If you go to Fort Myers high school, it's now the faculty parking lot. But that parking lot used to have outdoor rims. They were wow. double, triple rims. They There used to be two full outdoor basketball courts, asphalt, white paint, uh, silk, metal backboard, triple rims, the whole nine. And, you know, I would literally, I, I texted Gutter. I was like, hey, is there anybody can get in the gym? And at first it was kind of like, no, we can't. It's a liability issue. So what I would do is, is I'd pack a separate bag with a ball in it. And I would put that bag in the locker room because obviously I don't want to carry two bags on me all day. I have my school bag and that bag. And I literally would bring this ball with me and, and a band and a jump rope. And I'd put that in the locker. And as soon as school ended, I'd go get changed. And for two, my mom used to teach at Fort Myers Middle because at this time I couldn't drive yet. So the year right. until I could drive. Yeah. And high school gets out at 135. Middle school gets out at four o'clock. So by the time I really got down to the locker room, it was like 155, two o'clock, you know, until I really got ready to go. And I'd get ready and I'd probably be outside on that court putting myself through a workout in the heat in Florida, no shade, Ooh. no nothing from two fifteen to about four o'clock to my mom would pick me up every wow. single day. And then once, once guttery kind of saw me, I did that. I was on the outside court probably for, I was, I probably did that for two months, two wow. months straight, five times a week, every day. And I think one day guttery finally realized it. Okay. Like, we're going to get you in the gym somehow. Like, we're going to make sure. And, you know, because, you know, I, I didn't think he really, you know, understood how serious I was about it. I mean, I would rebound for myself. I, I, I didn't care what it took. I did literally everything in my power to make sure, like I said, I kind of fell in love. I was stubborn with it. I was like, I got to do something, whether it's an hour of this, uh, 45 minutes, two hours of this. Like, I had to do something. And I, I wanted to 
just push myself because like, I knew I knew what it took. I, I I knew you know it wasn't gonna be easy, but like I said, you just get to that point when you get into a rhythm and a routine that it just you're kind of just on this this it's it's i don't want to keep calling it routine it's it's like a pattern like you're doing it every day you're in a, your body is just accustomed to doing it every single day and when you don't do it it just feels odd and off and you know it got to that point you know i i, I again you know sometimes you got to sacrifice things and, and that was a sacrifice don't get me wrong some of those days were miserable out there we're talking 100 degrees 95 degrees humidity it's not a cloud in the sky and you know i'm out there and I'm having to go inside and fill up this this empty water bottle with the water fountain and come back out. But you know, I, I I don't regret doing any of that because it it helped with everything. Lot lot to unpack there, but it's just amazing to hear your story. And that's only really the beginning of you know you in high school and stuff. And it's just remarkable. But my question for you is: is I know there's been so many players in the past. You know, I mean, for me when I was younger, I was nowhere near the you know college basketball player like you, or never got to that level. Basketball was my second sport, but when I was younger, my dad would show me Pistol Pete Maravich videos like him dribbling up and down the railroad and railroad tracks and stuff and like Jerry West and just players like that that didn't have the access to technology. Now we're talking about the time when you were younger. There was no you there was YouTube, but there was no social media clips oh, of, of, absolutely this guy, not. of this guy shooting and that guy shooting. How did how did you say stay so motivated and determined to stay out there in the hundred degree heat. I know it's, you know, it's reward when it, you know, in the end, when you're hitting the last shot at the state championship or this and that, but like, how did you stay so locked in and like work on your craft, your game? Man, it goes back to when I was younger, you know, I, I literally just loved the game so much that even when I was done working out, whether there'd be an NBA game on, whether there'd be a college game on, whether it'd be a, a semi-pro game on, I, I, I was tuned, you know, I watched it. Like, and back then, like you said, the social media compared to nowadays, it's, it's night and day. Like, it's not the same thing. What these kids can do and the amount of advanced technology they can get. And just like you said, the whole nine, the film breakdown, all the clips, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's night and day. Cause if I had that, I mean, I couldn't imagine what I could do, but it, it's, it was different because, you know, I loved the game so much that I understood there's more to this than just putting in the work and playing, you know, you have to evaluate the game. Even nowadays, you know, film is such a key aspect of any sport seeing it from a different angle, evaluating, scouting, any any of any of those terminologies you want to use, it is so important because when you see those things from a different angle, whether it's, you know, how you're coming off a pin down, a ball or a pin down or a ball screen or a DHO, or whether you're, you know, in help side defensively or you're 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 scouting a team's offense, you're scouting their man in defense. You when you see that from that different angle, it helps you analyze things. And when you go on the court, it it really shows, you know, so back then we had this technology system. It's called huddle. It's still around, but it's yeah. not as used because synergy kind of took over the game, especially when yeah. I was in college. And, you know, huddle was this thing where, you know, coaches had to post the clips on there in order for you to watch them. Yeah. It wasn't like a source of data where like, if you filmed it, it would automatically upload it. Like you had to film it. And then you had to literally, the coach had to upload it. If you didn't upload it, the only person who could see it was the person who filmed it. Yep. So, you know, I got lucky where, you know, Guttery, you know, gave me a huddle login. And, you know, from that point on, I literally just, after my workouts, I'd go home, I'd watch. I watched, it's kind of weird. I watched every game 
from that Fort Myers season the year before that I wasn't there. I watched every single game, whether it was a loss, a win, a blowout, a close game, a bad game, a hard game to watch. I watched everything because I wanted to know what went wrong that year because I wanted to make sure in my three years that I had left there, I I wasn't going to have that same experience, whether it was for me personally or our team. We, I just felt like I said, I fell in love with just, you know, getting everyone prepared and, you know, I, I I was a firm believer and, you know, and you can ask guys around me, you know, some guys wouldn't always work with me, but man, when I, I would poke guys, you know, like, Hey, come work out with me. Hey, come do this. Hey, come do that. Hey, come watch this. Like, because I wanted guys to understand that if I did it, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Like we're all on the, we're all, if we all have the same goal and the same mindset and the same, everything, there should be no reason why we can't all accomplish the same thing. And, you know, there'd be days where, you know, there'd be guys like, man, I don't want to do this, man, I don't want to do that. But I would, I would put it into words that would make them want to do it. I'd be like, man, do it. And you'll see how you feel after do it with me, man, I'll help you. I'll push you through it. And, you know, there'd be days where I didn't want to do it. I, there'd be days I wake up and like, damn, I'm tired, man. I'm sore. I just, I just want to go home and watch TV and play video games. But I didn't do that because I knew at the end of the day, how bad I would feel if I didn't do that. If I didn't sit there and do it, I would just have this gut, this, this feeling that would eat me up inside. Like, damn, I, I didn't do that. Like what's wrong with me? Why am I so lazy? And no matter if I was hundred percent or 1%, I, I wanted to do it. And, you know, just knowing that having a guy there with you to do it, it, it makes it easier. And, you know, it also makes you feel good because he's on your team. It's not like you're not just benefiting from it, benefiting from it. He's benefiting from it. The next person's benefiting from it because basketball is a team game, man. It, it's a team game because, you know, yeah, you could have one guy get 40 and win a game, but there's going to be games in the season where you're going to need that so-called partner of yours to hit a big shot. You're going to need that teammate to step up with the confidence and, and take a charge or guard somebody or, or, or whether it be make a play or play off the ball. Like you need those guys. So, you know, I just, I just always poked my teammates to come work with me, man, whether they wanted to or not, because I knew at the end of the day, you know, I can always control what I can control, but I'm going to need these guys at some point. And I want to make sure they're just as prepared as I am. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I think this kind of goes back to actually is recently going on right now with the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler and how he's like the fearless leader for the Heat and how all these guys around him are considered in the media. They're not as talented. I mean, there's still, you know, professional NBA players. I think Draymond Green was saying that, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Some people are just, you know, kicking the tires on them because Mm -hmm. they're just the Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler's running the show and, you know, Gabe Vincent's undrafted and this, that, but Draymond Green was saying there were still NBA players kind of goes back to the point where you were saying that, you know, Jimmy Butler is pushing these guys around him to make make the team better. It's a team game. Yeah. And I think I've seen throughout the media and this, this Heat's, the Heat's remarkable playoff run, and, you know, everyone's going to give credit to Eric Spolstra, and that's, you know, credit. We're, give credit where credit is due. He deserves his flowers. But the For players sure. are the ones buying in through this culture. They are the ones that are playing in the games. They're the ones making the shots. They're the ones taking the charges, you know, running these – all these, you know, different sets and plays. But for me, it kind of goes back to where you were saying with you're in the role of Jimmy Butler. You're trying to motivate these guys and buy into something that this can be something special if you put the time in. It may not be it may not look pretty, you know, sitting there in the gym by ourselves with no crowd, no fans, but in the end, it paid off. Man, I'll tell you a funny story about that. So my sophomore year, that first year I was at Fort Myers, we 
fast forward at the end of the year, we ended up winning the district championship that year. You know, after that rough year, we won like 24 games. We only had like five losses. We're back. You know, we had a good year. I was, I was a sophomore. I was leading Fort Myers high school points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game. I was filling up the stat sheet. You know, there was a, there was a team in Miami that they were in our region. So the way it worked, a lot of people aren't familiar with in the state of Florida is classifications. It's one through eight. And we were five A at the time. And every year, we had to go run into Miami Norland, and I'll fast mm. forward. So we we get to the Sweet Sixteen. We're, we're one of the top sixteen teams left in the state, and Miami Norland, they've won the state championship now. I think it's at this point it's been two years in a row, you know. And I'm close to some of these guys I'm about to name, but we get there and we have to go to Norland. Miami Norland is in Miami Gardens. It's right in the central. It is a roughneck neighborhood. It, it, it's a it's a blue collar city. It, it's bad intersections, the whole nine, man. It's right in the center of that area of Miami Gardens. And, you know, hmm. growing up, growing up back to my point, you know, I credit my dad for this, you know, little AAU tournaments we went to were not the best areas, you know, they just weren't, you know, no. we just, we, we'd walk into gyms and, you know, we would be, it'd be me and a couple other white kids. And, you know, we'd be playing against some inner city teams, you know, and they would look at us and be like, Oh, these kids, we're going to punk them. And, you know, we just never got punked. You know, we would, we'd end up whooping them. You know, there'd be, sometimes there'd be close games, but, you know, growing up and doing that, and I'll fast forward back to that game. You know, we, we ended up losing that game. You know, it was a pretty ugly game. I actually had the flu going into that game my sophomore year. And I ended up having, I think, 27 and 12. And I took a B12 shot. I took a B12 vitamin and I did everything I could. And, you know, I don't want to call some guys out, but I, I could tell from Jump Street of that game that some guys on our team were spooked just from the atmosphere. That that was one of the most intense atmospheres I ever played in in high school, Miami Northern. I mean, there was there was there was over four thousand people in that gym. The 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 lighting was dark. Uh, like I said, we were in a rough neighborhood. We had a police escort in the gym. It was loud. Wow. They were banging. Up. It was it was a lot. You know, I was a sophomore. And I just didn't get phased by that. But I I remember looking around like, damn, I got a hundred and two fever. I'm on a B12 vitamin, and I'm not worried about none of this. Wow. But I see I see some. I see it in their eyes. Like I'm in the locker room. We're sitting there. Like some of these guys are scared. And we'll fast forward. We end up losing that game, and Miami Norland. Ended up winning the state championship that year. And I'm a firm believer if we won that game, we would have won the state championship because the two teams that we had to beat after that, we played earlier that year. We whooped them. We whooped them. Balin, Balin Jesuit and Tampa Jesuit. We whooped them early in the I year. Me- I remember obviously, Tampa Jesuit. I remember Tampa obviously, Jesuit, Miami, yeah. obviously, Miami Norland, you know, ended up pretty much dismantling those teams. And I'll fast forward to the summer. So in June is the only month in Florida where you can play with your high school team. It's, it's designated for team camps. FGCU team camp rolls around. We're in the semifinal of the team camp first. Guess who? Miami Norland. And I had that marked in the back of my mind for so long, you know, so, so long. Gym was packed. I actually had FGCU at that game. So FGCU didn't recruit me at all pretty much, but that game, they're like, we want to see what you can do because you know what they thought? They thought I was going to have a bad game and get punked versus a good team. And I knew it. And I knew going into that game and, you know, just back to what you said about Jimmy, you know, it just, it fired me up so much internally that I remember before the game, I know it was a summer game and, you know, they had their full team. We had our full team. It was, it was a big game. They they were recruiting guys on Norland. They just wanted to watch me. And, you know, I kind of took offense to that because, you know, with the confidence I have, I was like, I'm better than all those kids. I know I am. I don't care what people say. You might not be, you might be, but I told myself that. And I was a firm believer I was. And, 
you know, I, before the game started, you know, everyone was kind of joking around. We already played two games that day. You know, guys are just, it's a summer game. It's, if you played basketball, you know, you take them seriously, but you don't take them seriously because they're just summer games. And, you know, I was really warming up getting for real. Like, I was like, dude, like, so there's a minute to go in warmups and Guttery's talking to us. And he puts the starters out there. And I grab all the starters and I bring them in. It was, you probably know, it was James Brunson, Ryan Roberts, yeah. Benzie Bornelis, yep. uh, myself, and this kid, Jalen McSwain, who was on JV. He was on, I so know, he wasn't even a part of the game. I know Jalen really JV. well. <laughs> he, was, he was on JV and he was about yeah. to play against Dewan Hernandez, who was committed to the University of Miami. And I said, and I said, Jalen, I said, don't worry about this. I brought them all together. I said, guys, get me the fucking ball. I said, get me Ooh. the ball. I said, get me the ball. I don't care. I said, get me the ball. And fast forward, I ended up having 44 and we beat them by six. Wow. At yeah. FGC team camp. And, you know, I don't want to gloat, but I was talking, I was talking my shit to the FGC staff after the game, walking off the floor <laughs> because I knew, I knew what Dooley was thinking in that game. He thought I was going to get punked. And, and I don't care what anybody says, man, if you know how I played throughout college, I, I don't get punked. I don't, I don't, I don't care what you say, whether you're, a five star or no star i don't care like i'm gonna i'm gonna play you like like i'm gonna play everybody else and you know you can look those highlights up on youtube hoop diamonds has a whole mixtape of it but i hit my first two shots and i knew the rest of the game i was locked in i was locked in the whole game and that that same team with the same roster won a state championship and we just beat y'all a couple months later in a different environment when i was full strength so i didn't have the flu i didn't have nothing and i let it be known you know like Anything is possible if you just tell yourself you could do it, man. And don't let anybody sit here and tell you you can't do it because, you know, I had so many people. There was everybody. Mariner was up there watching. Naples was up there watching. Island Coast. They thought we were going to get blown out. And they honestly thought I was going to get locked up. And it was the other way around. And, you know, from that moment on, I think that's when everyone realized, like, okay, this kid's for real. You know, like this kid just gave the best team in the state of Florida 44 and beat them single-handedly by himself with, three JV players. I literally had three JV players start besides Ryan and James from varsity with me. Everybody else is a JV player. We didn't have anybody that tournament. And, you know, like, I, like, like you just got to, you can will your guys. Like if they see you doing it, they'll follow. They will follow. It's all a matter of your mindset. It doesn't matter if you're 6'10", 6 foot, if you have this skill set or not, the, the human mind is a powerful thing, man. And if you really just put your mind to it, you could speak into existence. And, you know, that's when I kind of feel like I turned the page in my high school career. Cause you know, I was already a good high school player, but that, that game really set the tone for the rest of my high school career. And that was a summer game too. That wasn't even a regular season. It wasn't game. even a regular season game. It was a, it was a summer game at a team camp at FGCU. And we were on the main court and we were in the semifinal and we already beat some good. We haven't lost a game there. And, you know, I, I kind of let it known and, what kind of felt what kind of got me mad about that is, you know, we I ended up having 44 that game and, you know, FGCU ended up offering two kids on Orland, but not me. Wow. And and I, you know, for the rest of my high school career, I just I kept that in the back of my head. Like, OK, like I had one of the best games you guys have ever seen from a kid in this area. You still did that. And whether they were watching or not, whatever game I played, I just, I just, I kept that mental note in the back of my head, man. Like, you know, and I have no hate or disrespect, you know, I know fly over who's at Jacksonville now and I knew Dooley. I respect them tremendously, but 
you know, when you test someone's character like that and, and, you know, actions speak louder than words. And when you let it be known that you feel some type of way by those decisions you make, it's it, like I said, it speaks, it speaks volumes. So I feel like that really amped me. And from there on out, man, I just, you know, I was on another level for those last two years of my high school career. And I let yeah. it be known. I'm glad you mentioned that again, because I remember earlier in the show, I said like 25 ish points per game, but I have your exact numbers here. I just had to pull it up again. And yours, um, both years, you, you one year was 21.3 points per game in your junior year. and your senior year, that's when you averaged 25.2 points per game. But your sophomore year, it says on max preps. Now, I know max preps, this was a while ago. I'm not sure if it's you know 100% accurate and you can uh, say otherwise. It says 6.1 points per game. Now, is this accurate? Maybe not. That is my my sophomore year. Yeah, that's what it says on next oh, preps. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very off. You know, I don't again. I don't want to boost stats, but I was right. I was definitely I was definitely at least twenty flat a game my sophomore year. I mean, I did. I I, I ended I, up. Yeah, because on scored, next preps, I scored, I confused. Yeah, that's that's odd. I scored. I was a two thousand. I still hold the all time scoring single yeah. season scoring single season rebounding and all time rebounding records at Fort Myers. Yeah, I have Still it. to I this have day. It, I have it on here. Yeah. So I was just. So I don't know. If, I, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how you average six points a game, but you score over two thousand points in your high school career. But, <laughs> but, 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 yeah. I mean, no, no. That's definitely false. That's definitely but, wrong for my sophomore Max Preps is confusing because that was so many years ago, and they don't really use that as much as they do now. I mean, I you know, I guess for high school they really like focusing on that, but now you have like Twitter and stuff. But so I was just confused by that, but. We'll cross yeah, off. that's off. Yeah, we'll we'll cross off that there. But but no, it, it's good to hear like your your Jimmy Butler moment. And for for kids at home, it's it's pretty it's pretty inspirational because you know now in the NBA everyone just sees LeBron and Curry and Ja and I mean Curry might be a little different because he's not as you know skill set wise as gifted as Ja and LeBron. But Jimmy Butler is just a great story. And it's it yeah, it's 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 all a mindset, man. Like I tell you, like you know that 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 guy went to a junior college, and then he had one scholarship offer to Marquette, and he made the most of his opportunity. Like you know, you just you never know who's you never know who's actually watching. Like I like I, I tell some of the younger kids I work with all the time too. Like like man, like when we're in here working out, like whether it's just me or you, like act like Mike Shashevsky is here, right? Act right. like Bill Self is here, yeah, like. So when the opportunity comes, you're accustomed to people being there. And I, I don't, you know, like, and I get this generation is different, but man, that's just how I thought. Like, I always thought, you know, especially in, in, whether it's, whether it's a work related event or it's basketball or it's anything, you know, like there's somebody always watching. There's somebody always watching because at the end of the day, if you want to be the best or you want to be at the top of something, you're always going to look at how can I make something? How can I make myself better? How can we make this company better? How can we make this organization better? It happens all the time in sports when teams don't win the NBA finals or they don't get to the Super Bowl or they don't win a World Series or or companies don't put up the numbers they, they, they want for a year. They sit down in these meetings and they say, what do we have to do to be better than this year? So I don't care what people say, man, you should always be improving no matter what the circumstances are, because at the end of the day, you might get a phone call or you might get an opportunity you weren't expecting and you got to be ready for that moment. You got to stay ready. And the thing too, I'm glad you just brought that up because there's, you know, plenty of teams that lost this year in the NBA playoffs and they're not as talented as, you know, or they're, they're very talented, but 
they don't have the work ethic and you can just see like you know you're a bas- you're basketball player and you can un- you understand the game very well you can tell by guys body language oh we didn't buy in like the grizzlies excuse was as well ja it was dealing with the gun issues and that's a whole another story but they, you know they were they were just as good as the lakers if not better and they lost in the first round and they got punked and, and it's just it just goes back to they were you know, right there with the Lakers and in the regular season, the Grizzlies were great. They were the what one? They were one of the best teams. Season. They were they were the they were the two seed in the Western Conference the entire season. Yeah, they were the two seed for a while, and then their two bigs got hurt. But the point is, is like the Lakers wanted it more, and you could just see, and they couldn't. The Grizzlies couldn't get away from the whole off the court issues with Ja Morant. It just really affected yeah. them in their play. And like you said, this summer they need to be in the gym working together as a core unit. But clearly that's not the case right now because Jaws too busy on Instagram live hanging out with the guys with, you know, it's you know, just, that's, that's why I respect, tough. that's it's why tough. I respect, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Giannis Antetokounmpo fan. You know, I think, yeah. you know, I'm a huge Giannis Antetokounmpo fan for a lot of reasons, man. Yeah. He's seven foot and he moves differently and he's gifted as a physical specimen. He's one of the more gifted players this game has ever seen, but you know, something you can't teach, man, is, you know, even after he lost that series to the Heat, and he was hurt, you know, people don't yeah. understand, like, when you're one, of, when you're the best player on your team and you physically can't go, it gets to you mentally. Like, you can try and you can push through things and you can do it, but if you physically aren't 100% and can't go, you, you can't, you can't put your team in a position to where, you know, okay, we're playing four on five now, regardless if you're the superstar or not, it, it hurts, man. I like what he said, you know, like, not every year is a failure, you know, yes. every year is a stepping stone. I, I loved that message, you know, and I kind of reiterated that to some of the, like, again, the younger guys I work with, like, just because we came in here today and you didn't shoot the ball as well as you wanted to, or you didn't work out as well as you wanted to, this wasn't a failure. Okay. Every day we're going to, it's like, it's like this, it's Epson flows and we're going to be really good one day and we're going to be really bad one day. But the reason we're in here is so that we can have more good days and bad days. And, you know, people forget, you know, like he, he did win an NBA championship. He yeah. did go on a run. It's right. winning, going back to back is the hardest thing in sports. As a team, when you win one, you now have the biggest target on your back in the entire association, whether it's NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL. You have the biggest target on your back. You were the clear-cut best team. You won the whole thing. You don't yep. think those other 32 to 33 organizations are sitting in that room going, what do we have to do to beat them? And they do it every year. Look at, look at, look at the Warriors this year. I don't care what people say. They brought back the same roster. They brought back the same team, the same style of play, and a yep. team figured them out. And a team yeah. literally said, this is what we got to do. These are the adjustments we got to make. It's always about making those adjustments because – there's no way you can do the same thing and just be consistent like that in order to be the best. You're going to have to, okay, we're going to do what we did that got us here, but let's just tweak little things. Let's just tweak little things. There's always tweaks going on because whether it's a scouting report or a film breakdown or how we guard a team, I mean, any athlete or any basketball player I know or football or any, any, any athlete, you, you don't, you don't plan for a team the same way. Like for example, the Golden State Warriors have one of the most unique playing styles in the NBA. James Wiseman, he struggled playing there because they're bigs. They don't play through a big. Right. They're big like Draymond is. You know, he he sets a lot of off-ball screens. He does a lot of DHOs. He's a big pass-first oriented four-man, you know. 
And then when James Wiseman gets traded to Detroit, where it's a different situation, a lot of guys who are his age, they're expecting him to get the ball in these positions that he's comfortable getting the ball. And his first seven games there, he was averaging 20 and 10, looking like the number one overall draft pick that everyone thought he was going to be. So, you know, it's tough because not everyone plays the same way. So you have to prepare differently for all these teams. You're not going to guard Steph Curry the same way you guard Giannis. You're not going to guard Giannis the same way you guard Jimmy Butler. It's all different scenarios. So those little adjustments are big, man. They, they really pay dividends. No, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And then for the people at home, because you're you're a basketball trainer, you played college basketball, you played basketball here life. Some people really don't understand the game of basketball. They just kind of watch it. But for you, you know it. DHO is a dribble uh, handoff. You know, the pin down is basically the, there was a play that the Nuggets and the Lakers, the last game when they played, they ran the pin down for LeBron. And then uh, pretty sure, actually, it was Jamal Murray. He was helping on. He was helping on defense, help defense, basically. And then Aaron Gordon kind of came around the screen, basically. He was, like, trailing it, basically. So like, Yeah, he pretty much yeah. he fought over that screen. And what yeah. Jamal did was he stunned it in the gap. And what that did was that forced LeBron to pick up his dribble in that final possession. And yeah. once he picked up his dribble at that point, that's a key indicator, you know. We call it wall up, where, you know, at that point, you know, you're not you're not being as over aggressive to get the ball because he can't dribble again. So you're just you know either has to shoot or pass it. So that's a good point of view right there, man. Yeah, you know, just seeing the game from a different angle. Those are little things that you know a lot of guys don't see. No, a lot of guys don't understand that, and it's really good to see now, especially with social media and clips, and you can break it down and actually understand it. And like, okay, the game's over, the series is over, the media is going to clown the Lakers, and that's fine. They got swept four zero, but. Every game they were in were very hard fought. I mean, they were up 15 in, in game four. Uh, I mean, I was talking. I was talking. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends. I mean, you you could make an argument that games, that games one, two, and that games one, two, and four, the Lakers should have won. You can yes. make that argument. I mean, in yeah. games game game two, they were literally up 16 with eight minutes to go in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, and they end up and they end up losing by five. We're talking a 21 point swing. You know, like that's a big deal. And it all comes down to possessions. I mean, the NBA is so fascinating because it is truly a game of runs. Yeah. I don't care what you say. A 20 point lead in the NBA it's not is safe. a is a 10 point lead. Yeah, it's not safe. I mean, look at look at game one from the Lakers and the Nuggets series when they uh Darvin Ham made the adjustment to for Rui to switch on to Jokic and then have AD Rome off the ball. So like you just see those little adjustments, like you said, those in-game adjustments are so key. And it's crazy because some coaches are so focused on the other little things. I gotta get my star of the ball or I gotta do this, or I gotta do that. But those little key in-game adjustments can I mean it that that game, I mean, what, the Lakers should have yeah. stole that game. They should have won that game if it wasn't for they the game two. I thought game two was big because you know you're down two zero now, going home. You're going back to, yeah, you're going back to LA. But you know when you defend your home court in the NBA, that's huge because yeah. because all because now your mindset is is we just got to get one on the road. We get right. one on the road, we're up three one, yeah, four zero like they did. You know they right. borrowed them, but. Yeah. Either, either way, either way, if hypothetically they were to split that, you're going back to Denver up three one. Yeah. You have home court, and Denver being the hardest place to play in the NBA due to altitude. Every NBA player literally says on any podcast platform that 100%. Denver is the hardest. It's the hardest place to play. It's the hardest place to play because of the elevation. But no, man, it's it's different. You know, like like I said, you know, you 
you're not always going to have the ball in your hands. And I understand superstars and other guys, and you know, they always want the ball in their hands, but it's what you do without the ball that really makes you an effective player. If you can go get a teammate open, if, if, if you can cut without the basketball, if, if, if you can organize a play without the ball or just be effective without the ball, it makes life so much easier on you because what people don't understand is we call it a term when you're ball watching, when yeah. your man is literally just staring at the ball, there's so many other things going on in the basketball court that you have no idea about that, that affect that play. That's why I have, Nikola Jokic to me is the best at it because what he does with the ball, I understand he he's, he's, he's got 14 triple doubles in the NBA playoffs. His numbers are off the charts. His efficiency is off the charts, but what you don't understand is what he sees before that action happens. He's making that read. He's making that pass because he knows the whole play and every single aspect of what's going to happen here, whether Jamal slips it or Aaron Gordon curls the screen, or he's got Michael Porter Jr. coming off the pin down over here with Bruce Brown slipping that screen. He knows every action that's going to happen. So if that first read's not there, it's right to the second. It's right to the third. It's right to the fourth. It's like a quarterback when he's reading options, he's reading his check downs. He knows every single option that's going to happen. Like I said, that preparation is just, it's very key because it just, it keeps you locked in. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was actually saying to a friend of mine a few days ago, Jokic just gives me that similar sense of Tom Brady. They're not extremely gifted athletically, but their ability to read the defense, their ability to see exactly what happens, like you said, before it all all occurs. And that's really just really what gets me. They're just so much smarter than the other guy on the court. And and to to counter that basically, I mean LeBron is also very smart, but he's you know in a different category because he's so gifted. But Jokic just gives me that same similar feel like Tom Brady. Just they can read the defense, they can see what's going to occur. And they're just such smart basketball players. They don't make many mistakes. And if they they punish you in certain ways that you don't think it's going to happen. You're like, well, how did he even do that? Or like the well, shot. Well, back to your, he, back to that point. Yeah. yeah, back to that point. I mean, I, you know, I like the Tom Brady comparison, but I I would kind of give it a Mahomes kind of look. You know, when when Mahomes plays, you know, people mm-hmm. even after this year, you know, he lost Tyreek Hill, he lost a lot of guys on an O line, he lost mm-hmm. some defensive players, and you know, like going into that Super Bowl. Everybody could sit here and say it. that Eagles roster on paper was unbelievable, unbelievable, unreal, unreal, unreal. and un, an unreal roster the year they had. But if you watch that game, you were with with a bum foot. He had a bum foot, like like you just said about Jokic. Like, how is he making those plays? Like, how is he? Because he's willing it. Like, and I think that's you know that 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 Tom Brady comparison is a good one. But I would give him a little bit of patty because I don't care what anybody says. Even if they were the number one seed all year with the best record in the league. And, you know, if you watch the Denver Nuggets this year, and I've watched them a good amount of times, especially in the playoffs, everything is run through Nikola Jokic. Everything. Everything. And I know Jamal Murray's been dynamite for them. But if you look at how they initiate the offense, how the play starts, I mean, the shot Jokic hit to put them up six, that step back where he literally – I don't think people understand in that circumstance – he caught the ball with 4.5 on the shot clock. He looked up at the shot clock, looked down at the floor, and took a step. To have that recognition knowing, I got 4.5, let me get behind the line and shoot this three, and hit it, speaks of his elite preparation and mindset and awareness of the game. I mean, guys like you said, Tom Brady, Mahomes, and, and just in that aspect, it's, it's, it's their awareness and their 
their they evaluate in their time awareness knowing time and score what's going on like that is a very elite thing to have so as a you know as a basketball player in your in you know in your shoes like how how do you think Nikola Jokic developed into the player he is because he was the 41st pick in the 2014 NBA draft. He got drafted from a taco on a Taco Bell commercial. So I have, <laughs> so I have, I have a good friend. He, he actually is Serbian. He played against Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um, he played against Nikola Jokic in Serbia when they were in U14. And what people don't understand is I played overseas as well is mm-hmm. European basketball is very tactical. Yes, yes, it's yes. It's not it is it is if you watch the Euroleague and if you watch any European basketball, it is a lot of half court sets. Mm-hmm. It is a lot of diagram plays. They don't really run a lot in transition where, you know, uh-huh. everyone watches the everyone watches the Olympics and they're like, "Well, why why is it so different when Team USA plays?" People don't realize every time any team plays Team USA, there's two things they want to do. Slow you down, make you shoot outside shots. Because all Team USA wants to do, it's been a notorious MI, it's been the notorious thing is run, 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 let's have a track meet, let's get up and down, run, 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 where in Europe, no matter what country you're in, it's get the rebound, walk it up, run a set, work the shot clock, get the best shot we possibly can. So Jokic growing up in that, you know, obviously, you know, his his development of his body is night and day compared to when he first got drafted because he has elite level strength and conditioning coaches and NBA and nutrition and the whole nine just with Giannis or anybody else who's a superstar in the league. But, you know, in Europe, they teach you an assist is the best aspect of the game of basketball. Wow. It's the only it's the only play in basketball where two people affect one play. It's the only play in basketball where somebody else creates another opportunity for somebody, but you're still involved in that opportunity of that. You're still involved in that play. It's a stat. It's literally a part of the game. And growing up in Serbia, you know, they, or any, any European country, you know, they kind of teach that, you know, like, Hey, like an assist is just as good as you scoring, if not better, because you Uh created that opportunity. And, you know, I don't, I don't think people understand the way the game is over there. It's, it's, it's high. I don't, I don't care. You're a casual. If you think this, if you don't think <laughs> there are some elite, if you don't think there are some elite level hoopers overseas, you need to watch more European basketball because there are, if you've watched the Olympics, the past two, three Olympics, go look at Argentina, go look at Spain, go look at Australia, go look at France, go look at all these countries that are developing and producing NBA players for God's sake. You go, you can name them right now. Yeah. At least three, at least three of the best players in the NBA are European. Uh, Luka, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis. At least three are European. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and that's the thing too, because I was talking to somebody a few days ago about this, and I was talking to them about the European aspect of basketball compared to the NBA, and I'm like, well, why does this guy in the Euro in in the European player have so much success in the NBA? I'm like, well, one, they don't get as many fouls over there in Europe. The game is a lot slower, and they the rules with, are different too. The, the, the rules, rules are different. Yep, and they play so much. You realize Rudy too. Rudy Gobert is so successful in Europe because there's no defensive three seconds in Europe. Wow. So if I'm a seven footer, I can sit in the lane and Ooh. not move. Wow. So that's why when Lucas said it's hard to score in Europe, like I remember when I first played in Europe, you know, I didn't struggle, but I, because I I I like I said my preparation, I just. It took me a second to get a feel for the game because you got to realize 
there will be a seven footer sitting in the lane always like in the nba when you blow by your initial defender it's yeah. one-on-one it's a layup it's a layup it's yep. literally a layup because he has to get out of the lane and then come back in where in europe if i blow by my initial defender there's literally somebody sitting right there yeah you're not you're not getting a clear layup you're not and if the ball's on the rim you're allowed to hit it off the rim if it's not fully in the cylinder. Where in the NBA, that'd be offensive yes. goaltending. Yeah, they, that happened in the in the in the Western Conference Finals with the Nuggets and the Lakers, and they were talking about that on the broadcast. Jeff Van Gundy was saying that I think that was the where AD accidentally they say he he tapped it, but he never did. He tapped it. He never did. Yes. And in Europe, in Europe, that's play on. That's yep. there's and, and players are so accustomed to that. Where in a European game, there would be no crowd going. Oh, ooing and aahing, it would just be a normal thing because that's the rule. And honestly, I think the NBA, if there's one rule the NBA should take from FIBA, it's that rule. Yeah. Because why, why, what's the one thing people in the NBA like the most that's entertaining? High scoring, scoring affairs. Yeah, high scoring games. That's why everyone. And loves if you it. want more high scoring yeah. affairs, you right. would just add that rule. Cause I guarantee if you add that rule, Every every team's points per games would go up by minimum eight to ten, because yeah. you, you don't you know how many times a game, a ball, rolls around the rim or hits the front of the rim or hits the side of the rim, and how many opportunities guys like Anthony Davis, Giannis, Jokic, Rudy, Cat, Bam, DeAndre Ayton, any any big can just go up there and put the ball in. Yeah, it would it would help tremendously with the league, but I get it's a tough rule to add, but yeah, man, the. People don't realize the the difference of the European game and the NBA game. Yeah, and I, and I to finish this off here, this this part of the show, I really wanted to say, Laurie Markkinen, for example, his season, not this previous season, oh, yeah. he just played, but the season before, he he said on the broadcast actually, it was the all it was the All Star break, and he was interviewed, and he they asked him, how did your game develop into the player you were? Because you were overseas, you're from Finland, you went to Arizona, you were really good at Arizona, you were a lottery pick. You had a really tough time in Cleveland. You were good in Chicago or you had like a, you kind of had like a rough, you know, go around a few first few years in the NBA. Then you got to the yeah. jazz. And then this past summer, he said, I really developed my game even more because I got a chance to play in Europe and Finland with, with the guys that I was comfortable playing with. And it, it made me better as a player. I could work on things that I wasn't as good at that. I could, you know, practice in the off season. Yeah. And, the he, sun, uh, and he took and he took that next step and it was really you know good to see and cool to hear like it goes back to the european point of there, there's another european player right there that's flourished yeah Lori, you know and i actually they i actually really i i, I tune into a lot of those FIBA qualifying games those cups because the FIBA yeah. the FIBA cup is is in is in 80 days and the usa's in it um yeah, that's the qualifier yeah. for the olympics and and you know those are some great games. I feel like everyone should tune to those games because those games are really competitive. But yeah, Lori Lori was on the Finland team for the cup, man. And I know everyone if you if you followed the the basketball world, he was on a tear in that cup. I mean, he yeah. was really on one. Like you could see the growth and development. And you know, back to my point earlier in the the show when we were talking about you know like when you have that preparation, you develop, and you get into the games like that, and you get that confidence. It's like no other. I mean, you could tell when the season ended when he got traded and, you know, he went home and worked. And then he had two months. He had two months to not, you know, it's it's hard to really, you know, take that leap in two months. But you can tell he did little things and he really took those games seriously. And you see how it paid off when he got to Utah. I mean, I don't I, I'm 
I thought he was the most improved player in the league this year, no doubt. I mean, I thought he, so too. He he. I don't know who won the award. Um, most improved most, player was. I think he um, did. I think he did win the award. Yes, he did because he beat out Shea and he beat out Jalen Brunson. He did, and you know, I don't care what people say. When you go from, like you say, a lottery pick to struggling in Cleveland and going to a team like Chicago, and those are two big markets, and kind of you know like hiding under the lights and not being the guy people pick. And then you go to Utah where they're expecting you to be a 20 win team and not very good. And you're going to be, you know, who you are and, you know, to put up those numbers and get all-star votes speaks volumes. You know, yeah. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do no matter what situation you're in. No, it's not. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that part, but I wanted to go back to your college career uh, from UNC Wilmington to University of Southern, uh, Southern you, you, I get USC and University of Southern California and you, uh, you, South Carolina, yeah, yeah. but it's 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 very it's very common. But talk about your college uh, career experience, some highs, some lows. So break it all down. Man. So I committed to University of North Carolina Wilmington, where at the time Kevin Keats was the head coach. He is now the current coach at North Carolina State University. Okay. Um, I, uh, I committed to him. It was his, it was his second year. At, well, when he recruited me, it was his first year at Wilmington. And then my season going in was his second year at Wilmington. Um, you know, people don't realize my birthday was February. My birthday is February 11th. So I turned 18. My graduation for Fort Myers was May 2nd. Wow. I was on, I was on campus at UNC Wilmington, May 14th. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's, yeah. that's, 12, that's 12 days after 12 days. Um, wow. I was on campus, you know, I was the youngest player in the CAA wow. that entire, I was the young, I was 18, 18 years old in some odd days. I don't know the exact numbers, but I was out of all the people in the colonial, out of all the 12 teams, I was the youngest player in the conference. Wow. And oh my what's crazy That's about cool. it is, is we were preparing, you know, I get to, I get the reason I got to Wilmington so early is because so per NCAA rules, every four years, you're allowed something called a foreign tour where okay. for a week you get to go to, you get to go to a foreign country, whether it's Japan, Italy, the Bahamas, uh, Dominican Republic, and you get to play three exhibition games, but 10 days before you get to go to that, foreign tour you're allowed 10 official practices so in the preseason you're only allowed eight hours a week of team related activities where with that 10 practice rule i mean we were doing full college practices in the summer getting ready wow. for that and i went from you know being high school to i'm going up against 23 24 year old guys every every day now every single day now you know like i'm 18 years old and, you know, it was tough at first, you know, it, it wasn't that I couldn't play with them. It was, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, getting comfortable with the physicality, getting comfortable with the, the, the speed, the tempo, the pace, getting comfortable with the whole nine, how things are run uh, defensively, you know, certain certain spots on the floor you got to be at, you know, just it, the whole nine, the game was different. And, you know, it was interesting. You know, it was a little rough at first. You know, I had to move. I was in North Carolina. It's my first time living by myself. I just graduated high school. I'm at Division One University, you know. And that foreign tour was nice because, you know, it helped me get my feet wet kind of, you know, because I had some really good games actually, you know. Like, those practices were rough. But when we got to the Bahamas, because we went to the Bahamas, and we went and played in the Bahamas in Atlantis, 
we played against three teams and one one of the teams was okay and the other two were actually not bad and um you know those are grown men as well these are professional organizations down there these are older men this is what they yeah. do and i had three good games it was nice man it, it, it kind of felt like you know when the, when the end of that trip came around it kind of felt like you know okay you know i've gotten 10 full practices in i played three games i went through a whole trip we scouted these teams you know it kind of like i said got my feet wet like what it's going to be like and you know fast forward when we get back you know the season started you know you know it wasn't ideal and i get it you know as a freshman you know you want to play and you feel like you should play but you know it was tough we were we were a good team at uncw we were we were a good team we we won the caa that year we won the regular season we won the conference tournament we ended up playing duke in the first round of the ncaa tournament yeah, you yeah, guys went to was, March Madness, we, I remember. Yes, we, yes, yes, we were, yes. We were a good team, and, you know, it was rough because there'd be games where, you know, there'd be games where I, I, I'd play 20 minutes and then I wouldn't play at all, you know? And it was, you know, it, it was just keeping myself locked in, you know? But obviously, you know, me being the player I was, player of the year, one of the best players in the state of Florida, you know, you're not accustomed to that, you know? No. You're yeah. accustomed to playing because you felt like you worked for this, but – what people don't realize is when you're a freshman, especially in today's age with the way the transfer portal is like you're that freshman year is a big learning year. You know, you're, you're going to learn a lot more than you play. And, you know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really handle some things. Well, you know, you know, it was frustrating. I was young. I was young. I was still growing up. I was 18 years old. You know, yeah. I didn't turn 19 until February and February in college basketball is the end of the season, you know, because March, you get into March madness at that point. It's like, okay, you just yeah. went through your full freshman year. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. And, you know, everything was a learning experience. It had its ups and downs, man. You know, it, it was tough because actually this is this is when I felt like I really grew up in college my freshman year. So we were on a 13-game winning streak. And the way the CAA worked, this, was in, this is conference play now. So now it's just strictly conference play, colonial play. And we were on a 13-game win streak. And the way CAA play was is you play, you play Thursday and Saturday. And then you have Sunday, Monday, you know, Tuesday off, and then Wednesday you travel, and then Thursday. So we had an away and away. So when you have an away and away in the CAA, you leave Wednesday, you don't get back till Sunday night, Monday morning. And we went and played Towson, which is in Baltimore, Maryland. And yeah. They were, yeah, they were, they were, they were like third in the conference. We were like tied for first with Hofstra, and you know, I didn't, I, I knew I wasn't going to play that game. I just had a gut feeling and. I don't want to sit here and say I'm glad I didn't, but we were on a 14 game win streak. And when I tell you, we, we got whooped, we got ran. Like <laughs> we, 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 we got blasted. Like it was, it was a bad game. Like we only, we only shot, shot like 32% from the floor as a team. They shot like 60. We got out rebounded by 20. It was just, it was just one of those games where, you know, like our, our starters weren't playing well. Some of the guys he brought off the bench and, in the back of my mind, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I was glad that happened to us, but I was kind of like, damn, you know, like, he's got to make some changes now, you know, like, we just got blasted. That was kind yeah. of a big game, even though even though we were on a 14-game win streak, that was a big game because they were only two and a half games behind us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we ended up losing that game, and you know how if you're a college athlete, getting cursed out in the locker room, whatever, and that next game we played Saturday. So it's like Thursday. It's like Thursday night. Now the game's over. We're, at the, we're about to leave the arena. Our next game is Delaware at Delaware on Saturday. Now Delaware's campus is only an hour and a half away from Baltimore. Not far at all. Yeah. So we just got in the bus and we just drove to Delaware and we got to our hotel because it was Friday. At this point, it's Friday. 
you're going to have your, you're going to have your pre-practice. And then the next day you have your shoot around the games at six o'clock. Well, we get to the hotel, <laughs> we get to the hotel that night. It's, it's now Friday morning. It is probably two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, we on a charter bus and we get to the, the Hilton in Delaware in Dover. That's what the campus was. And, uh, one of the managers goes, hey, coach wants you to go put your bags down and come meet us in the convention center, which is like in those Hiltons, they have those big rooms, like those yeah. big like ballrooms. And we're like, come meet you in the convention room. It's 2.30 in the morning. Wow. So we go down there, we meet him. He had film set up. And we watched the entire Towson game from tip to the end, the entire game. And we didn't get out of that film room till about, 415 4 wow and you know that's probably against that's probably against ncaa regulations but i mean at this point <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but but we did that and um you know the next day we were actually we had a scheduled practice at uh, delaware's practice facility at one o'clock in the afternoon we go there and i'm killing I'm having a, I'm having a hell. Like I'm, I'm on the scout team because I didn't play. I'm like, whatever. I, I wanted to be on the scout team because you get more reps that way. Yeah. You, 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 you get to go up and down more. It's just, it's just better for you if you're not playing. And I'm killing them. I'm, I'm killing them, killing them. And key to the head coaches at time is, is just giving the first stringers. Oh, he's just yelling at them and the assistants are giving it to him. And I'm not really saying much. I'm just kind of killing. Cause at this point, like these are my teammates. And I'm like, Hey, listen, like, I'm just <laughs> trying to get reps in. Like there's nothing I could do. And you know, I didn't really think I was going to play that game. And, you know, Delaware comes around and, you know, we tip off and we kind of get off to a slow start. We're down like we're down like four or five with like 16 minutes to go in the first half. The game just started. Um, and he looks down at the end of the bench and I'm kind of sitting there like I'm ready to go, but I'm not ready to go. Like I'm kind of like, you know, like I'm kind of like I'm kind of like Nikola Jovic at the heat right now. Like I'm just sitting there like, you know, like, all right, like whatever, like shit's going to happen. And I'm sitting there. And I'll never forget I was drinking because they had blue Gatorade and these little Gatorade cups. And I'm drinking it. I'm, I'm taking a sip. I'm like, whatever. And I put the cup and I and I have my full warm-up on. I have the full everything on. And I put my cup down. And all you hear is, is you hear a scream, Mark, Mark. And I, like, look. And one of the assistants, his name is Casey Stanley. He's this white guy. He stands up and goes, go get Chris. Chris is, like, one of our best small forwards. I'm like, all right, bet. So I get up. I get in the game. And whatever we're down like four at this point and, and i check in because the ball was baseline out of bounds and we ran this thing it's a, it's, it's called x3 it was a okay. play for me i'm like well, it was originally originally for chris but i'm supposed to get the first look and i go and set an up screen and i curl after i set the up screen i'm now getting a pin down to come up to the left wing and i get okay. a pin down and he, he goes under my screen i catch i let it go bang it goes in i'm like oh i'm feeling good next possession we get a steal i come down we then run another baseline out of bounds play because the ball went off his foot. It's a stack. It's called X5. And now I'm stacked like this. I'm the last guy in the stack. And all I have to do is once everyone splits, I just slip down the middle. I'm supposed to get a layup. I slip, get right down the middle. I get an and one. I hit the free throw. I got six quick points. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling myself. Next time down, I get a rebound. I come down. He sets me a ball screen. He goes under the ball screen. I pull up. Bang. They call a timeout. I got a quick nine. I'm feeling myself. Moral of the story, we end up winning that game by 18. I had one of my best college games. I had one of my best Division One games. I had 18-5-5 and, like, three steals and versus Delaware. And I was feeling myself. And I have it on here. Yeah, I have it on here. I wrote it down. I have it on here. Like, January 9th, I had a big, 2016. 
versus Delaware, a big game. And, uh, you know, I was feeling myself and, you know, like it just, it helped me gain my confidence, but then, you know, I didn't play for the rest of the year after that game. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't play for the rest of the year. I called 14 <laughs> DNPs. And, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, what kids don't understand is, you know, it's just being ready in that moment. You know, you just, you just don't know. You just don't know when things are going to happen. And, you know, that year was, was a real, was a lot of growing pains, you know, a lot of growing pains, a lot of ebbs and flows. Like I said, I had that big game middle of conference play. We just ended our 14 game win streak. You know, I go, we go to Delaware who was, you know, one of the more hostile environments in the CAA. I have a big game and, you know, just to not play the rest of that year, like, damn, like, you know, I kind of did everything I could to get in that game. You know, all you can really do is, like I said, back to my mindset is just keep that mindset and keep working. You know, that's all I did. You know, even though I knew, you know, I, I was thinking I was going to get more playing time because of that. And, you know, obviously I didn't play a single game for the rest of the year after that. And it wasn't, I was, I was healthy. I was good to go. And, uh, but I always stayed ready, man. I always stayed ready. And, you know, when the season came to an end, you know, we kind of just had a conversation, you know, he, he, he wanted me to stay, but he didn't want me to stay. You know, you know, there were some things, you know, there were some conversations we had that, you know, we butted heads, you know, like, like, and it wasn't really even about playing time. It was more so just like pure respect, you know, like just being upfront and being honest about things. And I'm not telling you to, to always tell me how things are going to be, but you know, if you know something's going to happen, Hey, let me know, you know, yeah, like I'd rather sure. you let me know just a pure respect thing. And, you know, and, you know, I'm not going to say what some things were said in that exit meeting, but you know, <laughs> he, you know, some things were said and it, it was just best. We kind of mutually just thought it was best if I transferred and yeah. it was kind of late because he gave my release late and I had some division one schools, but at that point, you know, they were kind of filling roster spots. When you get your release in July, it's like, dude, That's like late. a lot of schools are filled. It's late. Yeah. It's really our school starts in August. And, you know, I was like, okay. And, you know, USC Aiken calls me. USC Aiken is about four hours away from Wilmington. Okay. I was in my apartment at Wilmington in July still. My lease was up August like 3rd. And uh, I was with a couple of my buddies. And the assistant calls me and he goes, hey, can you get down here to, uh, you know, USC Aiken? I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make the drive to Aiken four hours. Like, I don't know. Like, I was kind of on the verge of just, like, trying to see if I could walk on at FGCU, you know, like, yeah, whatever. Because yeah. at this point, I was like, damn. And he goes, you know, you know, I'm going to, he goes, no, no. He goes, you know, I'm going to, he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to have my assistant come pick you up. I was like, what? What? I was like, you're going to have your assistant coach come pick me up for, you're going to have your assistant coach drive eight and a half hours in one day. He goes, yeah, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's hell on him. So he says, he'll pick you up at eight o'clock. I was like, he'll pick me up at eight o'clock. I was like, all right, sure as shit. Next day. I uh, had my alarm set for 7.30. I got up, took a shower, had a coffee, and uh, I look outside my apartment window because the way my apartment was, I was on the second floor and I was facing the parking lot. And I just see, his name is Jacob Gollin. He played at Mercer, but he was an assistant there. And I just see him in, in his USCA and polo sitting there, like standing straight up, like perked up, like excited. <laughs> and I was just like, damn, this guy, this guy must really like me. And I get in the car and Honestly, man, he's not there anymore, but that was one of the coolest car rides I've ever been a part of, man. Like he, we talked for the whole four hours on the way down. We were just chopping it up about basketball because 
we kind of related. We played the same position. We kind of had the same path. Same mm-hmm. thing kind of happened to us. And wow. It was just, it was, it was kind of refreshing, you know, to have a conversation like that with somebody after that whole year of what just happened, you know, like it was like, damn, like it was like a, it was like a sigh of relief, you know, we get to Aiken and, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to Aiken, South Carolina, but. Uh, no, I've, I've been to South Carolina, but I haven't been to Aiken, no. Aiken is about 20 miles north of Augusta, Georgia. It's right oh, on the border okay. of South Carolina. It's like right there. And when I tell you there is a Walmart, a Zaxby's, and a McDonald's, and a Quality Inn, and Bojangles, and that's about it, that's about it. And <laughs> uh, that's about it. And I get there, and uh, you can look it up. It's, it's called the Convention Center. It's actually one of the best facilities in Division Two in USCA can imagine. It's awesome. I, it's it seats four thousand people. It's this big arena. You can look it up after this. It's awesome. Like I really wow. give kudos to them the fact that they have that. Like yeah. the campus, the campus is the size of Fort Myers High School, but wow, literally, literally, like the college campus is the size of Fort Myers High School. That's crazy. And, but the arena across the street is beautiful, state of the art. It's this gigantic arena. It's called the Convention Center. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll come here and play here. And I, I committed and I went there. And, you know, my sophomore year, I was I was third team all conference. They're in, the, they're in a conference called the Peach Belt Conference, which is a lot of North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. And Flagler was the only Florida school. Okay. And we ended up, we were preseason. There's 14 teams in that league. We were preseason picked to be 11th. Out of four mm. seed, out of fourteen teams, we ended up finishing third. Wow! I was third team all conference, and we ended up losing in the uh, conference semifinal to a team, Columbus State. They were the number two overall team, and you know, it was just refreshing to have a year where he put so much trust and faith into me. He's like, "Listen, like, I know you had a rough year. We know what you can do. Just go out there." And, and the style, the system fit me, man. Like his name, he's still there to this day. His name is Mark Vanderslice. He's the head coach there. And, you know, I, I, I liked him, man. He was a good guy, but you know, I didn't want to say it to him in the beginning, but I didn't, I didn't see myself staying at Aiken for my whole career, you yeah. know? And I don't want to sit here and, you know, like I, I didn't say that from jump street, but I knew towards the end, I was like, listen, this was a great year. I had a great time playing here, but I just didn't personally off the court. Like, my living situation was great. The apartments were great. The people I was with were great. Everyone in the town, like I have a lot of love for Aiken, South Carolina because yeah. they took me in with open arms and they treat everyone the right way. But you know, it's a business. And at the end of the day, like if I felt like it was better for me to explore my options after the year I just kind of had, you know, I was like, let me do it. And per NCAA rules, you know, and Mark Vanderslice was not happy about that decision. But, but you know, per NCAA rules, now that I was transferring for a second time, I had to sit out. Oh, I saw and that. I saw that. Your 2016-2017 season, correct? I had to sit out. I had yes. to sit out, yeah. yeah. And um, after that Aiken year. So I have two years of eligibility after that, but I had to sit out. So there was a Division two school, Nova Southeastern, where I ended up going. I actually went and played in an open gym like a week before um, like school kind of started again. And I, and, and the way, the way Nova Southeastern works is so Jim Crutchfield, who actually I ended up playing for after this red shirt year, I'll get to that is we have this notorious system where you press and it's up and down and in the open gyms, you have to press. Like it's intense. Like you are wow. pressing the entire, it's crazy. It's, it's oh like you are, 
you are literally pressing the entire open gym, made basket press, defensively on a miss press. Like you're playing to 125 twos and threes. You get a media 25 points. It's a lot. It's it's tiring. And, you know, I was already in really good shape. And that was actually his first year. So he was trying to get a good recruiting class there because Nova was bottom of the league and he was bringing that system. And, And when I tell you that was one of the best open gyms I ever had in my entire basketball career, I was torching that. I was, I was, I, out of that, out of that 125, I probably scored 50. I was, I was on one. Like I was like, I open, you can ask, you can ask people like David Dennis, you can message them. Like you could be like, Oh yeah, he was on one that day. And, and, you know, he offered to pay moral of the story. He offered to pay for my red shirt year. And uh, my, my last two years of eligibility, but then a day later, you know, Florida Gulf Coast called. Yeah. And they offered they offered the same thing. Mm. And I was like, you know, honestly, the way it worked out is I I should have just took the redshirt year at Nova, but out of being spiteful and kind of prideful, I wanted to prove myself I can play division one again. So I took the Florida Gulf Coast offer. I didn't play there. I only redshirted there. This was Joe Dooley's last season at Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, Joe Dooley. And, yeah, remember him, yeah. Even though, you know, out of all the years I had, because we'll get to the last two I had at Nova Southeastern, which were the two best years of my basketball career off and on the court. I mean, those that that those those teams were just we were yeah. unbelievable and I was playing unbelievable. But backtrack to that redshirt year, why I say that FGCU FGCU year was the most interesting was because going into that season, I obviously knew I wasn't playing. I was redshirting, mm. I had to sit out the whole season, I was gonna be on the scout team. So I knew again it was a year of growth development i'm not gonna play i'm here to learn you know i'm here to work my way up this is why i came here we had at the time christian terrell brandon goodwin zach johnson in my opinion three studs you know like all seniors uh ricky doyle transferred into from from michigan you know he coming back to photo golf coast he's gonna start center uh, we go through the whole preseason. We're picked to be second or first in the league with Lipsick coming the A Sun. I'm like, dude, we got a. I'm, I'm looking at our team. Like, dude, we got a really good team. Like, oh, Troy Baxter was redshirting with me, a transfer from UNLV. Myself, like, like man, we had a nice little team. And when I tell you that was just the most dysfunctional locker room I've ever been a part of. Wow. We just, we just, it wasn't even just we. It was our. It was. It was just guys. I'm not even going to single guys out. Like, everyone yeah. was just disconnected, you know? It was just bad. It was a bad nucleus. Like, like I'll, I'll, I knew it was bad when – so there was a tournament that FGCU hosts. They don't do it anymore, but it was called the Hilton Garden Inn Classic, where it was like a three-day classic where FGCU has teams. Like, a team will come in, and you'll play them too, and then they'll play each other. It's like a three-day event, like one of those little, like, jamborees, you know? Yeah. It's part of your regular season schedule. And – we beat Illinois State, and this is we, we were like two and zero going into it. And you know the teams who we had coming to it were Denver University, Navy, St. Francis, Brooklyn, and us. And I'm like, oh man, I mean, we're gonna, I'm not playing, but we should, we should be four and zero going out. We're gonna blow these yeah. teams out. <laughs> and we played Denver University, who was like two and five coming into the game. You know, they Chauncey Billups' brother was actually the head coach of Denver. Oh wow! And it was his first year there, and you know, but they weren't very good. Like I, I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't care how the game went. They weren't good, and it was a close game. Like they had us down, they had us down five with like four minutes to go, and you could just see the dysfunction starting to brew. The inner fighting, 
coach breaking clipboard, like the whole nine. Like I can go into detail. We ended up actually pulling that game out. And I'm like, okay, maybe that was just a bad night. You know, maybe that was just one of those games. We ended up winning by like seven. I'm like, all right, maybe that was just a bad game, whatever. We just, we, we just avoided a bad loss. Now the next day we're playing Navy. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if you're familiar with how the, how the military schools work like west point army west point navy air force like yeah how they work (laughs) with athletics Mm -hmm. you don't get a pass if you're an athlete there no you don't the same physical conditioning workouts you have to do when you're enlisted whether it's west point navy air force you have to follow those regimens on the road or whatever it may be your schedule doesn't your schedule doesn't change like when you're on a road game so Navy played at five o'clock the day before versus St. Francis, Brooklyn. They ended up beating them by like 10, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had shoot around the next day at the arena at like 1030 in the morning, 10, 1030. I'm walking to the arena. Like I parked my car. I'm walking to the arena. You've been to FGCU. You know, yep, here's yep. the arena. There's a soccer field right there. Yep. I see Navy's bus parked at the soccer field, but I knew Navy doesn't have their shoot around till 12 o'clock. They purposely did that. Because the game we had wasn't until 7 o'clock at night. So I kind of walk over to the soccer picks. I'm like, I'm here 30 minutes early, whatever. It's just shoot around. They're doing a full-on conditioning workout. Log runs, sled pushes, weighted vest crawls. Like, they're they're doing a whole workout. And I'm like, bro, we play these guys in, like, seven, six hours. Like, Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I'm too, like, we're, like, everyone kind of saw, I'm like, yo, did anyone just see, like, Navy's doing their work, like, a workout outside? Like, did anyone just see that? And we go through our shoot-around, and, I mean, I just kind of felt like we were going to dismantle them. When I tell you they came out in the first half and punched us in the mouth, I'm sitting there like, their biggest player is 6'6". Their biggest wow. player was 6'6". Talking about undersized. Like, <laughs> Navy, Navy. I'm sitting there like this, like, like watching this and <laughs> the game gets close. And this is when I knew we were in trouble. We tied, it was like a one point game with like five minutes to go. The biggest kid on the court, he's six, six. He looks like captain America, this kid, high buzz <laughs> cut, low fade gel back, like no tattoos, both wrist taped high socks. Like you're just like, <laughs> you're just like, what the hell is this kid? He catches the ball on the left wing. Yep. He takes one dribble, but you could look this up on YouTube. Just type in Navy versus FGCU ESPN top 10 dunk. It's still up there. He takes one dribble with his right hand going baseline. Ricky Doyle rotates over help side. This kid takes one dribble, cocks it back with his right hand. Ooh, like, like, that's the chest with Ricky. Like, what? punches it. And, like, and one, count the basket. I just sat there and was like these dudes are a different breed now i know they aren't a very good basketball team but these dudes and the story gets better that dunk happens again we ended up squeaking by navy beating them by like eight or ten the game is over the game is over i'm going to get my post-game meal that they have in the locker room for us i'm picking up this pasta yeah i'm walking out of the player's tunnel to go say what's up to my dad and i look in the arena Navy is running suicides with weighted vests on after the game. After the game, they're running suicides with weighted what? vests on 
And I'm just like, I so I go up to their assistant coach and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, did somebody yell at y'all in the locker room? Like, what's going on? And he goes, No, like, they have to do this. Like, this is like, this is their like, this is. I said, Well, what are your practices like? He goes, Forty five minutes of free throws. He says, We don't practice. He says, We shoot, we shoot free throws for forty five minutes. I'm like, Really? Wow. He goes, Yep. He goes, Because we physically can't because they have to do this. Wow. And. You know, I just looked at that. I was like, man, like we're, and you know, I just, I was like, it's at that point, I was like, we can't take some of the things we have for granted where guys have to go through stuff like that, man. Yeah. Like, you know, like, like we're over here complaining about this and this, but man, these guys have to go through fucking four workouts a day and then play a game. And I'm like, dude, like, like we got to just be more grateful and thankful for what we have, you know, because like I said, our nucleus, man, just, I'm not going to name individual guys, but. We just yeah. had some guys who just didn't appreciate what we had, you know, and all the things we were getting. Because at that time, dude, like people still thought it was Dunk City, Dunk City, and you yeah. know, like it's over. It's like it's over. Like you got to get over. It's a new era. Like teams right. don't care about that. And no, <laughs> you know that whole year ended, and then I'll fast forward to the end of the season. You know, we played Lipsicum again. And I don't know if you're familiar with this name. There's a kid named Garrison Matthews. Yes, yes, he, yes. He's in. He's in the NBA now. Yeah, he on, yeah, he was the, the Rockets. Rockets with yeah, the Rockets. He was with the Wizards, Rockets. and then the Rockets yeah. was when he really had his big stint. Yeah, and and um, you know, he had a stint, and I'll never forget. You know, Garrison just lit us up. Like we played them three times. I think in those three games, he averaged like thirty-eight a game versus us. And this was the game when I knew we were just we were just checked out. We're in the A Sun Championship, and we're hosting. The way the A Sun works is the higher seed hosts. Yeah. We're in the A Sun Championship at FGCU playing Lipsicum. We scouted all week. We 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 knew everything they were gonna do. We knew everything they were gonna do. Again, I wasn't playing. I just could only scout team, <laughs> and I could only do so much. When it came game time, you know, you're just you just gotta sit back. And Garrison gave us the smoothest forty five I've ever seen, and we lost the A Sun Championship on the home floor. And then wow. once we once we lost that game, we were the because when you lose the conference championship, obviously the winner of the conference goes to the NCAA tournament, and the second seed goes to the NIT. And our draw was Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State in the first round of the NIT, and nobody thought we could win that game on our team, which I thought was sad. But it was just like at this point, like you can't you can't motivate these guys, and you know they end up going to Oklahoma State and losing by like twenty two, and then two days later, Joe Dooley accepts a job to East Carolina. Like you know, it was all just brewing. Like the whole yeah. thing was just brewing up. Like guys didn't care. The head coach knew he was getting a bigger job. Like it was yep. just it was just all trickling down effect. And you know, after a year like that, like it was like damn, like it kind of felt like I was back at square one. Like I was at Wilmington, you know, like even though I redshirted and didn't play a single minute this year and didn't lose any eligibility, I was like, damn, like I, you know, I kind of wanted to stay here, but like everyone's leaving and like, like what's going on. And, you know, I then have to get my release again for a third straight year. And I did not envision myself transferring this many times, nor did I want right. to. I, I, yeah, for sure. I didn't and think you would either. <laughs> then, you know, at this point, I'm thinking to myself, I'm talking to my dad. I'm like, who's going to want a kid that has transferred three times in three years? It just looks bad. It's yeah. like when somebody gets waived three times, you know, it's like, who's going to want to pick that guy up? And luckily for me, you know, I, there was only one person I thought of. His name is Jordan Fee. 
He was the associate head coach at Nova Southeastern. He's now the head coach at Gann University. He just accepted the job this year. I called him. I said, look, I got my release again. I'm not really pursuing any other schools. I said, I'd be really grateful if you'd let me just come, you know, just give me another chance if you want to look at me. And I said, if you don't, because I kind of gave him cold feet last year after he offered to pay for my redshirt year. I'm like, I still got two years of eligibility. I understand if you don't want to. I'm just I'm just calling to see if there's anything for me. And he goes, all right. He goes, hold on, hold on. Because he really liked me. Even at a high school transfer, he always liked me. He goes, all right, hold on, hold on. Probably two minutes later, I hung up the phone. Two minutes later, Jordan Fee calls me back. He says, can you get over to Fort Lauderdale tomorrow at 10 o'clock? I said, yeah, that's no problem. It's right across the aisle. I was like, I can get Jeez, there. wow. But still, yeah, so quick. <laughs> I was like, all right, call him. I go play in an open gym. He offers me again. I signed that day. I was like, I'm here. I want to be here. I want to be here. I knew. I I, I, I liked the, how they thought. I just, the, like I said, after the year we just had, everyone felt connected. You know, that was crutch. So that was, that year was, like I said, last year was Crutchfield's first year. And that was kind of a rebuilding year. But this year was like his guys he's bringing in. He knows who he has, like a whole new roster. He's like, listen, man, we're going to be really good with you. We're going to be really, really good. And I was like, I like this. Everyone got along. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm with this. Regardless of how this year's going to go, how we play, I'm with this. And, you know, we went, we ended up, the way the SEC works, there's 11 teams and only eight make the conference tournament. We were preseason picked fifth in the league. We ended up winning the league, going 31-3 and three and winning the region. And I was the All-American that year, first team. Wow. I had a year. I, my junior year, I averaged like like 22-8-5. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, those are a little off, but it was close to that. My junior it's, year at Nova Southeastern. I got I got it right here. I got for both seasons, for your junior and senior season, you averaged 20.61 points per game and 21.97. Yeah, and, you know, it was – my my numbers were just ridiculous because of how we played. And I was just so we were, but as a team though, as a team we were just that's we were so locked in, man. We were pummeling. I mean, we went thirty one and three, winning the region. We were picked fifth in the conference. I mean, and it was just it was it was a it was a breath of fresh air because I felt like I was somewhere I was wanted and wow. somewhere not. And it just you know it was like it was nice like whether it was the coaches, the players, the people at the school, man, like the appreciation and just. Having that appreciation, like, hey, man, we love you. We want you here. And we're so thankful you're here. It was just so refreshing after everything that just went on for those three years and the way it played out. and Like the whole, like that, that home sense, that feel of, I feel really yeah. good about this. Even though. Like, this is hours, awesome. Two, yeah, it's two hours on away, off, but on I feel and, good. On and yeah. off the court, like, regardless of living in Fort Lauderdale, man, like, on and off the court, man, like, everything was just awesome. Like my whole experience was just so cool there. And like, I'm forever grateful for being able to play my last, like I say to this day, if I could go back, I would just go to Nova South. I would just go to Nova Southeastern for all four years. I would have done it. I would have done it. I would have done it. Like I really, I really would have done it because, you know, my relationship I had with Jordan Fee, who was the associate head coach at the time, man, was unlike any other relationship I ever had with any coach, man. I could, I could call him and, we even have to talk about basketball, man. We could just wow. talk about life. We could just go yeah. get a sandwich. We could just go get a, you know, like we could just hang out. Like it was awesome. Like, you know, and, and having that relationship, it gave me so much confidence on the floor because I knew whether I messed up or did something good, like there was that leeway. There was that. It's okay. Like we, we, we trust what you're doing. Yeah. We know how you think. And, you know, if you play the game, you know how that, you know, 
how that makes you feel and what kind of confidence that gives you when you have that, like, you know, that, that, that trust, that relationship, like where you can just feel off each other and feed off each other. And you know, like, Hey, okay, I'll fix it. Or like, he gives you a look and you give him a look like, and you yep. know, you're both on the same page. And it was just so refreshing, man. And, you know, I was fortunate enough those last two years, I was a back-to-back All-American, the only player in school history to do it. I was the only player to get nominated for the Reese's All-Star Game in Division Two. Only eight people per team get picked for that. Yeah. Um, I was I, I broke I broke numerous single season records there, man. And it was just a shame that, you know, my senior year, you know, was this was the spring of COVID. You know, yes, yes, yeah. We were on the way to the NCAA tournament and you know, everything obviously you already know got shut down and yeah, it was rough, man. But you know, my college experience, man, is it's just, it's just, it was, it was, it was humbling, but it was a blessing, man. Because I, I, I know at the end of the day, I'm not supposed to be able to predict what's going to happen. Nobody, no, is. nobody is, nobody is supposed to predict what what's supposed to happen. You're supposed, like, to, you're supposed to just, you know, kind of go with the ups and flows of things, man. That's what happened, and you know. I, I don't regret anything that happened during my duration in college. I don't, because I feel like whatever happened, happened for the best. Me living Wilmington, me going to Aiken for one year, me registering at FGCU, and me finishing those last two years at Nova Southeastern. It was just, you know, it was kind of meant to be, I guess, because you just don't know how things are going to play out, man. But I'm I'm forever grateful for the people I've met on that journey, man. And, you know, it's it, it, it's it's crazy to think about because those were five, long years five long years i mean yeah after everything i did and you know just the whole nine it just it just what sucks about it man it's just it's just you know you just can't you, you just couldn't make it up you just couldn't yeah. make up anything that was going on like i mean the way we were playing the way i was playing man it just i was so locked in and so mentally just appreciative of everything going on around me that you know it didn't it didn't matter if I had 40 or four, you know, I just wanted to play basketball and have fun. Yeah. So this one here is a two part question for you. What was your least favorite college basketball moment? And what was your most favorite college basketball moment? Well, I got two for the last one, but for my least, my least, my least favorite moment in college Wow, my least favorite moment in college, because it's it, it it sucks because you know. All right, so my least favorite moment was, we were playing in the Elite Eight my junior year at Nova Southeastern, because mm-hmm. I don't want to look at it as like a game, like you know, or like a workout or something, because all those workouts can be ups and downs. Those are those you know those things happen in there, but we were playing in the Elite Eight, and you know we were thirty-one-three. Nova's first time winning the region, first Elite Eight appearance, you know, whole big year, big, massive turnaround. We get to the Elite Eight and we play a team called St. Anselm. And we matched up pretty well with them. Mm-hmm. And I had a game, but I the only problem, I had 31-13 that game. But the only problem was, is I was literally the only person healthy for that game. Our starting point guard, David Dennis, had full body cramps the whole night before and they're going into the game. Our best blue-collar defender, Dwayne Gibson, had a torn groin and hernia going into the game. He tried to play through it. If you're an athlete and you play basketball and you have a groin injury, you know how hard that is to play. LeBron, one of recently. Our, yeah, one of, our better, one of our better two guards and outside shooters, Eddie Puisis, his patella tendon and LCL were completely messed up. Oof. Nick was, Nick was banged. Our, our whole team was pretty much banged up. And, you know, it kind of felt like I was carrying the load the whole game where, like I said, I didn't, I didn't feel like that the whole year. 
and I was doing everything. Like, again, I had 31-13 that game. And we ended up losing by six in the Elite Eight. And I sat there in that locker room. And, you know, and again, St. Ansel in that game, though, they couldn't miss. Like, the first half, they hit 17 threes. They couldn't miss. It was, like, it was, out of all my college games, it was truly unbelievable to play against because you're just sitting there like, that's in, that's in, that's in. Like, (laughs) they just couldn't miss. But then the next game, they play Northwest Missouri State, who was the number one overall seed, Mm -hmm. and they ended up winning the national championship that year, and St. Anselm couldn't throw it in the ocean. They couldn't hit anything. They went three of 33 from three the next game. And I just sat there, I just sat there in the back of my mind for that whole month. And I don't want to reminisce on much because I'm a firm believer when the season ends, I don't do anything for two weeks. I I go enjoy myself. I I give that myself that mental clarity, but it was really tough. And I'd sit there with my friends. I was like, man, like, what if, you know, we were actually fully healthy? Like, you know, like, what if? Because I was a firm believer. If we were fully healthy, we blow out both those teams. I don't care. Anyone can say whatever they want. I know. I, I, I know we would have handled both those teams and won a national championship. And, you know, kudos to Nova. I don't know if you peeped. They went 36-0 and this year and won the Division II national championship. Yeah. And they got my, one this year. My cousin, goes that, to, my cousin goes to Nova. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I was just a firm believer that year. Like, like, I wish we could go back in that moment and just, you know, have – be healthier, you know, because I know health is a part of the game and I understand it, but man, I was just like, I just, I, I just wish we were healthy for that game. Now, my best moment, I got two because they're just hard to think of. Yeah. So my senior year, we played, it was three weeks left in the regular season and we were rolling. Mm-hmm. We were tied for first in the conference with Florida Southern, who was always a dominant division two powerhouse. And yeah. We're playing a school, Palm Beach Atlantic, conference play. Mm-hmm. I went, I broke, not only did I break the single season scoring, the single game scoring record that game, I had 45. It's still a record there, I know, I had 45. I went 21 of 25 from the field. Wow. I only missed four shots the whole game. That's insane. <laughs> 21, I shot 80, I shot 82% from the field and had 45. Oh my goodness! And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't like, like after the game, I saw the box score. I was like, whoa! And I had nine rebounds and seven assists. And I was like, whoa! Like, like I didn't realize how big it was till like I got on my phone after the game because like I was like, all right, I had a forty-five point game, like whatever. Like no, like, like people were like, dude, you had the best plus minus in Division Two history. Like you were just literally had you literally had the most efficient game any player in Division Two has ever had. And I was like, what? My phone was just. At least Twitter. I, 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 my, my, my Twitter. I couldn't go on Twitter for four hours after the game. Like it was, it was insane. <laughs> like it was truly one of the craziest experiences. And just that game. It was just one of those games where, like, you, you just, you just feel like, you know, like the rim is the size of the ocean. Like, yeah, everything, everything was going in. And a second moment, definitely, you know, when as a team, you know, because I don't want to be more self-centered because I'm all about Timor and stuff. Was when we won the region my junior year at mm-hmm. nova that that celebration of everyone rushing the court and you know for the first time in school not only was that the first time in nova's history being in the ncaa tournament and hosting it but we won it so wow. it was just like not only was this school the bottom of the totem pole in the league for all these years and bad but the first year we get to the ncaa tournament 
we're hosting it. Not only do we host it, we win it. We win our region on our home floor. And, and a team, the team we beat in the regional final, we already played three times that year. We swept them 4-0. So it was like icing on the cake, you know? It was just like, we'll beat this team four times in a row. We're winning it on our home floor. Everyone just celebrating, like, the confetti coming down. Like, it was it was just a real surreal moment, man. And, like, like I said, after everything that went on that year, and that was my first year at Nova. Like, that was just just such a just such a great feeling. Like, damn, like you know, like we did something, but I was a huge contributor to it, and it was just nothing like it. After the success that, after all the success at Nova, they better retire that damn jersey of yours. <laughs> oh man, I so I'd hope so, man. I'd be at the ceremony in a heartbeat if they ever chose to do that. Don't worry, better, I'd love going there. You better call that uh, associate head coach up on the phone and say, "Hey, that jersey retirement is it coming?" <laughs> I think I gotta be. I think I gotta be at least two more years removed from Nova. But oh, when the time comes, I'm definitely gonna bring that up to them, no doubt. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, a point you kind of like talked about with like you played in Division One, you played in Division Two. For people at home, because everyone just sees the TV, you know, watching the games, March Madness and Division One college basketball, and they don't really get to see a lot of D2. Can you just explain the difference between Division One and Division Two, and how hard it actually is for kids at home? Because a lot of them have no clue. They just see the glitz and the glamour and March Madness, and they see the the da na 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 na. They don't know what really goes into it when they see these small school like the 16 seeds upsetting the one seed. Just talk about the 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 difference between Division one and division two. Well, put it to you this way. There is no difference. Like there is no difference. Like, let me tell you something, especially nowadays. I want you to go check the transfer portal. Yeah. The division two player of the year is going to Georgia next year. Wow. He went to Nova Southeastern, RJ Sunhara. He's literally going from Nova Southeastern to UGA. Full scholarship. Damn. Their starting small forward is going to Memphis. With Penny. The team the team with Penny Hardaway and the American. Like guys are transferring now from division two to high majors. So if that doesn't speak volumes of the competition that's at the division two level, then you really must not watch it. Yeah. Literally, if you go look at the transfer portal, the kid there was a kid on Creighton last year from Northwest Missouri State. He went from Northwest Missouri State to Creighton. And they made the final four. They were in the Elite Eight. Elite Eight. Elite Eight. Elite eight. Yeah, because they got bounced by San Diego eight. State. Right, yeah. And he literally was in a Division two school, and he was starting every game for an Elite Eight team in Division one, a Big East school. Like, wow. there's no drop-off. Like, just because you're not at an SEC, Big 12, ACC school doesn't mean you can't play. Mm-hmm. Do you know how hard it is? to play at that level just to even get to that level <laughs> yeah if it was if it was easy everybody would do it like yeah it's not it's not easy because do you know how many kids have the same aspirations and goals as you do there's a million kids trying to do what i did what he did what he did like there's only 15 guys on each roster there's yep. only 10 teams a league do the math yeah i'm talking <laughs> a slim percentage of guys who can really be there and the but guys when it that... comes to the yeah, and the guys yeah. that even stay stay in the NBA or stay in college, they fall out or something happens. I mean, so many guys are have the talent, but they don't they don't ever pan out. I mean, there's plenty of guys. It's, it's, in it's the tough, NBA. man. Like it's tough. Like, yeah, you know, some of it has to deal with fit and style of play, and if they if it goes well. But 
you know, majority of the time, it's if, are you really cut from this cloth? Like, yeah. are you built for this? You know, it, it's not a, it's not easy. Like, no matter what sport it is, basketball, football, baseball, like, like what Meek Mill said, there's levels to this. Like, yeah. there's really levels to this. Like, you got to understand, like, like, you got to work your butt off if you want to stay at that level or go higher, man. And, and like, like you said, it's, it's, there's, there is no difference because I've played at both levels. And let me tell you something. There are some dogs. Those, those, those teams who are top 15 in the country at Division Two. why do you think those Division One schools don't play them in exhibitions? Yeah. There's a reason for that. Yeah. There's a reason when they play these exhibitions in the beginning of the year, how come when the preseason top 25 rankings come out, not one top 25 Division Two team gets an exhibition game versus Division One school? Why is that? Wow. Does anyone ever talk about that? Nope. You want to know why there isn't? There isn't one because they get beaten by they, them. They get busted up, yeah. I'll give you an example. Going into my senior year at Nova, Jordan Fee, we were this close to playing Stetson. This close. And they're division And when one. I – they're in the A-Sun, same league as, uh, same league as FGCU. Uh, FGCU, yeah, because Jacob DeGrom went there for – yeah, yeah. People, people – they wouldn't admit this, and I'll admit it, I don't care. We mm-hmm. would have blasted them by 25. Wow. We would have bl- blasted Stetson. Blasted. Yeah. And they watched film. The assistant called him back and said, we're not playing you guys. Hmm. So the assistant, because the way it works is when you play games, you sign contracts. Hmm. Smaller schools get paid to come play you. Like, they yeah. would literally, you think Stetson wants to pay us to come whoop you? Hmm. You no. see what I'm saying? Well, so, I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because last year when the gate or the pre not this past season that just passed for the Gators, but last season when um, uh, Dan Mullen was there before Napier got the job, they played um, uh, what is the school? They, they got busted up by it was like sixty three to something, uh, not not Fordham. It's um, I forget the name of the school, but they got absolutely torched. Yeah, 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 and they and they paid them and they paid them yep. to come play them. Yep. And not only did you get torched by a little school, you just gave that school $500,000 to a million dollars to come do that to you. Uh, Samford. Samford. That's the name of the Samford. Samford. Yeah, Samford. Samford, Samford, who is a small SoCon school, a double-A football team, whooped you. And and you paid them to come do that. Yeah. So it's a risk, but yeah, I mean, you you be the judge. When When the schedules come out, I want you to go look at how many top 20, like top 25, from 25 to one, how many have an exhibition versus division one team. I guarantee you it's zero. You don't, see, it. you don't see any usually ever. No, they play the lowest of the low division two schools. And even then, sometimes those schools lose. It's crazy yeah. how it works, man. It, 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 there is no drop off. It's, it's the game. The game has talent all over it just it just it's just a matter of where you play and who finds you you know you can't control that like you know yeah. some kids some kids you know they they have to go to junior college or out of school or they're not as fortunate to go division 1 but it's like you got to you got to roll with what you got sometimes man and 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 you know like it's all these all these scholarships are one year deals so even if you think you're safe you're not safe because at the no. end of the year he does, he has to renew your scholarship and he can sit there and be like, I'm not renewing it. So 
What one one player that I wanted to mention before we do wrap up the show before I, we head to the five questions to end it, but Austin Reeves, that's a name that's been you know floating around mm-hmm. the NBA. It's, he just finished his second year. Uh, he had a great playoff run with the Lakers this past season, but just from the beginning of time with his time with the Lakers because he was undrafted, time at Oklahoma, time at Wichita State, and so many guys are saying like, "Well, why is he doing this?" Well, one, you can probably relate to this. He played five years in college, so he's way Literally. more, way more developed than a lot of these other. He's NBA a twenty. Guys. He's a twenty-five. He's a twenty-four, twenty-five-year-old rookie compared to an eighteen-year-old jumping in the league. Imagine that's seven years we're talking about. So, but just the Lakers giving him the keys when Westbrook was traded. Do you think, like, what, like, what are your thoughts on Austin Reeves just as a player and like his ceiling and like how good he is? Because I mean, he's such a crafty player. Man, people forget, like, you know, people forget he started his career at Wichita State, which is not yeah. no schlack program. Like, no, you know, he was, one. he was, and he was playing for a coach, Greg Marshall, who, Greg you Marshall, know, yeah. is one of the yep. more, one of the more well-respected coaches at NCAA. And then mm-hmm. when he transferred to Oklahoma, which, by the way, was the most picture-perfect system for how he plays, he just got put on a bigger platform. Now, I know the American Conference at Wichita is a big league with UConn and all those other schools, but... He went to the Big 12, there was mm-hmm. no drop-off. No. That's what you got to look at. And yep. then, you know, back to your point when they traded Russell Westbrook, like, kind of like with me at Nova, like, that's the organization, the coaches speaking volumes of how much faith they have in you, you know? And yeah. when, you, when, you, when you hear and see that faith, it's kind of easy to sit back and be like, all right, like, they're, 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 they're pretty much telling me, like, hey, like, we trust you. We want you to do this. Look at the move we just made for you because you play the same position as him. You do everything is the same as him. You're, you're just games are different. I think. I, they, I think. I think for Austin Reeves too. Another thing about him is his his level of IQ. How how smart of a player he really is because he's not as athletic. He's very athletic, smart. He's not as athletically gifted as some of these other players, but he makes up for it in other situations. And he, he's just a, he's just a very high IQ player, and I think that's what really helps him out. One a lot. thing I one thing I like about Austin man, is you know the confidence. It, it, yeah, it, he has such confidence that I love about him. But mm-hmm. one thing I love about Austin that he does better than a lot of other rookies is he knows how to play within his role. Yes, and I think that is so big in the NBA. Not every guy is going to get 15 to 20 shots a game. Not every guy is going to play 30 minutes. Like what he does, he plays so well off of others, which in my opinion is a skill. Like, do you know how hard it is to play with LeBron James? Go ask all the other guys who tried and miserably failed. And And this guy did it with, yeah. And then they go to different organizations, Contavious Caldwell Pope, and literally flourish. And it's just like, it's he's literally again he's the hardest guy to play for and he stepped in and he did it no problem and that just is a testament to you know his feel and iq man because i don't care what people say playing for lebron james i understand he's high iq and all that but it is one of the hardest things because the media makes it one of the hardest things right anytime there's anything negative with lebron or anything like the first thing people do you see lakers media any like you see how they just crucified D'Angelo Russell? Like yeah, they just, just go at they, He's gone. they go at you. He's they go at gone. you. Like yeah. Like because of how he plays, 
he's probably going to be gone. And if you go look at D'Angelo Russell when he played on other teams, he's been good in the NBA. He's I mean, easily he, going to get picked up. He was he was good in the regular season, D'Angelo Russell. It's just his his ability in the playoffs it just didn't really translate into the postseason. But also, yeah. Den- Denver did a really good job with having Bruce Brown on him and KCP, like more physical adjustments, gu- adjustments more physical guards than D'Angelo Russell. But you can't sit here and tell me D'Angelo Russell couldn't go drop – 30 on on another team or on any given night i mean he was hot for the lakers in the in the regular season late when they traded people people forget people forget when he was in minnesota man i mean he was playing well up there too like like there was a reason golden state even made that trade for him too and gave him that extension like you know like you gotta look at you gotta look at why these guys do these things and again back to my point man you know playing it's not lebron's fault It's, it's 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 always been difficult for guys to play with LeBron because of the limelight. The limelight is just so big. It's it's anytime you have the littlest mess up or consistently doing it, it's gonna start and it, it's tough, man. But yeah, it's no, the, I give credit the, to Austin Reeves. It's the truth. It's the it's the truth. Enzo Russell, back to your point too, was the time when he was on the Nets, he brought them to the to the playoffs when they he were was an all star. Yeah. He was an all star. He literally was a first team selection all star starter. For the Brooklyn Nets, people forget that. Like he his, wasn't like yeah, his career, his career aver- is just... his career average is seventeen points a game, seventeen point one. So it's not like he's some bum and he's some role player. He's just no. starting. He's a start, starting point guard in the NBA. It's just like, and also too another thing with with guys don't understand too is this team is really new. The chemistry is not always going to be there right away. They just made the move at the they deadline. Just yeah. just made the move. It's like it's just it's a lot of people it don't understand. Time. It takes time. Give them a season under their belt, an off season under their belt, working together, playing together, understanding one another. It's not just hey you come in you're an all star let's just let's just all do it together. It doesn't always Agreed. work out like like the Warriors had with Durant, Curry, Clay, and Draymond. And that was also Agreed. a very a very different situation. And D'Angelo Russell and Kevin Durant are completely different players, but just the the aspect of the chemistry. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you know, again, it's it's some markets are tough to play for. You know, I'm a Knicks fan, so you know, you want to talk about one of the <laughs> toughest. You want you want to you want to talk about one of the toughest markets to play for. Yeah. And the fact that a guy, you know, it's it's it it, it is what it is, and the media is never going to change that aspect because that's technically their job. Their yeah. job is to promote that aspect of the game and. You know, yeah. it, it's tough, man. But no, I mean, no, you don't just go to Ohio State, get drafted top five overall, and have a career average of seventeen points per game and be called a scrub. I highly doubt that. Yeah. So, and and real bas- real basketball players and uh, actually understand that too. That's also another thing. But yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Jalen Brunson, one night he's amazing, the next night he's horrible in the New York's media's eye because it's just it's just how those big markets like it you ebbs said, and flows and that's their job it's their boston, job to do that so boston la new york those markets right there they these these fans they expect 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 all those years with the patriots all the the championships they won the, the red they're just Sox, so accustomed the Lakers, to it they're so accustomed to it so when one night the guy has an amazing night and the next night he's horrible he's the worst player we need to trade him it's 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 actually crazy how how it it's all tough, actually man. unfolds. It's tough, like you said. So to end the show, I always give my guests five questions. Well, number one, what is something that's true that nobody agrees with you on? Something that's true that nobody agrees with me on? Man, honestly, something that's true that nobody agrees with me on. Uh, I would say right now, you know, people are probably going to judge me for this. I, I honestly, I honestly think Giannis Antetokounmpo 
is the best player in the league. It's it's undoubtedly like yeah. Some people say it's LeBron because he's still in the league. No, some people say anymore. it's KD. I'm sorry if if you average 33, 11, and six on a five year span, and if you go look at the resume he has at 27 years old, put it to you this way. If Giannis Antetokounmpo retired today, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. One hundred percent, too. I had this uh, this debate with a couple friends of mine a few days ago about this, and I understand now that I knew this before, but now I really understand that as a whole unit, basketball Hall of Fame. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame, so he would technically no. get in because of Greece, uh, his time away from NBA. So, like that, I it's also another thing too. I've understood because my friends were like, it's- "Luke is a first ballot Hall of Famer." I'm like, "Yeah, because it's the basketball Hall of Fame." It's a basketball hall of fame, one thousand percent. He has literally one of the most decorated all around resumes in the world from his Euroleague and so far his tenure in the NBA, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. No, that that com- that I completely agree with. Okay, so number two, who is the best basketball player you have ever played against? The best basketball player I ever played against, man. Honestly, like it's funny because we had a couple battles. But mm. I give credit to Antonio Blakeney, man. Oh, people, yeah. For, people don't understand. Like, we were in the same class in high school. And when I was actually a sophomore in high school at Fort Myers, we played against when he was at Cardinal Mooney in Sarasota. Mm. We both had, like, 25. It was a good game. But, like, over the years, man, like, I just watched him develop. And I played against him a couple more times. I was like, dog, like, he he is an elite two-guard, man. Antonio Blakeney, if, if you knew growing up around us, you knew yeah. how raw Antonio Blakeney was. He, he I have was, mad respect he, for him. He he was nasty. He was smooth. He was silky. He was quick. His on scoring his feet. Ab- his scoring ability was just picking, uncanny. Picking his spots. Man. He was able to pick his he, spots when he yeah. wanted to. Yeah, he was he was legit. Number three, if you could meet anyone in the world today, who would you meet? If I could meet anybody in the world, who would it be? Man, honestly. I would love to be able to sit down and have a quality, quality conversation with stuff. I'd have to, I wish Kobe, man, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it sucks that, you know, that all went down, man. But just, just to sit down and, and be able to pick his mind, man, be able to sit there. And, Cause you want to talk about somebody who not only had a, just a will of a work ethic, man. But yeah. just the way he 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 willed his teammates to win, and I would just love to be in the, in the mind of Kobe Bryant, man. Yeah, no, I I like that one a lot. Number four, where would you relocate if you were forced to leave the country? If I was forced to leave the United States, I would love to go to relocate to either Australia or the coast of Greece. Just two of the most beautiful places in the world, man. I'd be on the Gold Coast of Australia. Or I'd be exactly where Giannis has one of his timeshares in Greece on that water right there, man. Those are two beautiful places. Number five, what is the most stupid thing you've done in your entire life? The most stupid thing I ever did in my entire life. Um, let's let's <laughs> let's just say my uh, my 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 senior my senior year, we had this fountain on campus at Nova. And, uh, you know, we, we just won a big game. It was a conference game with the double OT. And let's just say we had a few too many that night. And uh, oh. we, all, we, we all ended up we all ended up going for a dip in the fountain on the school campus, man. And, uh, we like, all got into, Is that like, oh, forbidden? you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, you are not allowed to do that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just say we uh, we, we kind of tried to play it off. But uh, we then ended up going into uh, 
we had a team meeting one day and instead of watching film the first thing he put on was the security camera footage of all of us in the crowd so yeah oh that's funny so uh as always guys make sure to follow us on instagram at the iqm pod make sure to follow us on spotify the inquisitive mamba podcast apple Podcasts, and youtube as well we just hit a thousand plays all time it was a pleasure to have you on today's show, Mark. It was it was really awesome to hear your perspective of the game of basketball, your college career, kind of unpacked it all just from the highs to the lows to the glamours to not the, not so much the glitz, the coaching, the phone calls. It was just awesome to have you on. And also, you know, a little piece of the NBA, kind of hearing your perspective as a former Division One and Division Two athlete, really understanding the game for people who are learning and with this new – form of media with social media and podcasting and learning from you know former athletes like yourself and it was a pleasure to have you on and uh, as always guys we will see you next time but before we do end mark's got to plug himself and go from there definitely thank you for having me on man i appreciate it like i said i really enjoyed this man i was looking forward to i'm so glad you reached out i know it's been a while since we've had a talk but yeah man um well, God, I could chop it up with you, man. Definitely would like to come back on sometime. You know, I, I enjoyed this a lot, man. Yeah, but uh, definitely if you guys want to, you know, I do online skill development as well. Any other basketball stuff, if you want, you can go follow my socials uh, on Instagram at MarkMatthew7. Any of those would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, man, I do any kind of basketball content, so that'd be great. Thank you so much, as always, guys, and we will see you next time.